The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We will talk about if the Brewers are among the worst contenders. Are they just a pretender? How do the Brewers take themselves out of that and move themselves into the first tier of contenders? Talk about Devin Williams not making the All-Star game, as well as touch on Burns and Hayter. Uh, we'll also discuss why Williams not making it is everything wrong with the All-Star game in a weird way and everything right. It'll it'll make sense once we talk about it. We're going to do a weekend winner and loser. Um, new segment here. I don't know if we're going to do this all the time, but it's a way for me to fit in Zach Wilson because I want to talk about it. Lastly, uh, we'll do a Chuck Scorner check-in and see if this is the worst week of the year. Um, and then we'll uh, we'll ride out. Um, by the way, we won't have a show one of these days. I think Wednesday. I, I was going to do Tuesday, but the more I think about it, let's do two shows this week, then take middle day, middle of the week off, then have two shows for the rest of the week, and then ride you out into the following week. And we'll be back with a full five. Um, Mitch couldn't do a show this week, which is fine. Um, we're going to take a week off. Um, so we're choosing this one. Uh, he has a show. I'm not sure where the Garden Home Boys are going to be um, tomorrow. I'll do some research for that. But go check them out if you want something to do. You're still enjoying the music, uh, the summer fest, and everything like that. The vibes are still high. Go see them on Tuesday. Also, make sure you're following us on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. We had some fun stuff go up over the weekend. So if you guys were disconnected, you're at the lake or whatever, go check that out. Give us some likes. Give us some uh, feedback. We'd always like to see that. Um, and I think I mentioned we're on TikTok at tapping the keg sports. But if I didn't, that's where we all started there, too. Uh, also, uh, lastly, and then we're going to get to the Brewers. Make sure that you are rate, review, subscribe. You know the deal. All right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and arguably the most frustrating week of the year. The Milwaukee Brewers had a rough week. The Brewers went four and six over the Pirates and the Cubs. And I do want to talk about that week and what I feel like it means. But I really kind of had this epiphany as I was watching Yankees Red Sox over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday and realized that the Brewers are not at this level of contender, that the Brewers are not in the top tier of contenders, that at this point, the Brewers are a contend, a pretender and not a contender. And so, A, well, where can you go? What's the list of contenders look like? And how do the Brewers level up? What does that look like for this baseball team? Because right now, the Brewers look like a tier two contender. And you could argue they're a tier three contender, I would say if you look at the teams around the Brewers, their tier three to me would be a little harsh, a little intense, but I could understand how a pessimistic Brewer fan might feel that way about this baseball team. The Brewers are not at the same level of the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. They're not at the same level of the Houston Astros. And part of it, I think, is the Brewers' lack of focus. I think the Brewers do not focus against bad teams. I think the fact that they went four and six against the Pirates and Cubs in three series, two of them being at home, is a complete lack of focus. I feel like that point will be made clearer when the Brewers go on the road for another six games with Minnesota and San Francisco, two playoff teams, two teams that are in these tiers. And if the Brewers come out and win four out of six, that says everything you need to know that the Brewers just can't focus against bad teams, which to me is a bad sign for a baseball team. It's a bad sign for any team. I mean, we kind of saw it with the Bucs this year. The Bucs had it. I think it was a championship hangover. The Brewers don't have that excuse. The Brewers lost in the fucking NLDS. They have no excuse for that. 
So is it that the Brewers just aren't necessarily dialed in? Like I laughed at, uh, you know, a caller to Tim Allen's show after the Brewer Cub game on Tuesday. This was last week, saying that Willie Adamas and Luis Urias being sort of jovial all the time, not necessarily being that locked in, had something to do with it. And I thought that was an old man take. I thought that was a boomer take. But the more I think about it, the more I wonder about it because it does seem like the Brewers are not focused. And it seems like they make defensive errors. It seems like that they make a stupid play here and there at least every game. I mean, we saw it with Saturday, right? The Christian Yelich spike into the outfield where he realized he shouldn't have thrown that ball, but the ball had already left his hand. And so he kind of got tied up. It was almost like a shank in golf where you realize that your grip's wrong or your stance is wrong and and you want to just fix it, but you've already swung the club. So then you knock it probably 150, you know, on the ground to the right. And it absolutely is a terrible golf shot. That was kind of what Christian Yelich's throw looked like. And then Brad Boxberger didn't have the presence of mind to just let the ball roll. I don't think a Pirates player would have tried to charge home. They were not in that position. They were not ready to charge the plate at all. And then Boxberger loses complete mental focus. Nobody goes out. Chris Hook doesn't think he needs to go out because it's Brad Boxberger. He's a pretty focused guy most of the time. He goes out and gives up a fucking home run to Ben Gamble of all people. The fact that the Brewers got beat by Ben Gamble and Dan Vogelbach is frustrated in its own right. They should have a good book on those guys. Both of those guys played for the Brewers. They should know what their tendencies are and are not. But yet the Brewers somehow cannot figure those two players out, even though they were on this team years ago. So the lack of focus could even stem to the coaching staff. But that lack of focus to me is part of the reason why I don't consider the Brewers a contender right now. The Brewers are a pretender. The Brewers are not real yet. And I understand it's all uh, July. I understand that the Atlanta Braves did not look this way last year and they won a fucking World Series. I get that the Washington Nationals the year prior, or two years prior, let's excuse the COVID year, the two years prior, the Washington Nationals were in the doldrums in May. And then all of a sudden they just kept winning baseball games. They kept winning baseball games. And then by August, September, they looked real. And they made the wild card. Then they went on to win the World Series. The Brewers are not there yet, all right? And I don't necessarily know, A, if they can reach that first tier because the first tier is so competitive. And then, B, they have a lot of work to do. And they have to start doing some different things and making people accountable and making sure that there are some, you know, it's not going to be the same thing over and over again because it kind of feels like that's what the Brewers are doing. Kind of feels like we are punching ourselves in the dick every time out. So let's look at the tier list of contenders and then let's talk about what the Brewers need to do going forward. This is for both the AL and the NL, by the way. So it's all all together. The first tier of teams, as mentioned, the Yankees and the Red Sox are definitely in that first tier. The Astros, who I think are better than them in the AL, uh, also in that tier for sure. And then if you go into the NL, I also see it as three teams. I see it as the Dodgers. I see it as the Mets. I see it as the Braves. Like, look at the Dodgers uh, yesterday. You want to talk about focus. You want to talk about, you know, how things go. They were down 5-0 to the Cubs in the first inning. P.J. Higgins hits a grand slam. The same Cubs that took two out of three from the Brewers. They are 5 nothing. all right? Then the Dodgers get three back. It's 5-3. It's like, okay, cool. Like, the deck's kind of reset. High-scoring game in the first inning. But, like, it's all right. 
And then David Bodie hits a home run, and the the, the Cubs are up eight to three. So it's like fuck, you know. And there it goes right. The Dodgers come all the way back, and they're they're up nine to eight after the third inning. And so then the Dodgers add one more run with the Freddie Freeman home run, and it's ten to eight, and they win the game ten to eight. And to me, that says everything you need to know about why the Dodgers are a contender and why the Brewers are a pretender. Because the Brewers went down eight to three they would not have got off that mat. I do not think, I think the Brewers would be like, oh shit, we lost this game. Who cares? We won't pitch our guys. We won't do this. We won't play to win. And we'll just accept be, you know, losing this game. Just like they did on Tuesday with Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander had no reason to go out there besides Craig Council being like, all right, well, we're not playing good defense. It doesn't look like it's trending our way. Let's see if we can sneak Alexander out there for one more inning. And he got absolutely fucking shelled. He made a similar mistake with Brandon Woodruff, but I think the Woodruff mistake was a little more defensible. Even though Woodruff was starting to sort of leak gas, I still thought Brandon Woodruff could be out there. He's one of your aces. You should depend on him to be ready to go. And But I do also think, and you know, I'm kind of arguing both sides here, but like you need to have a guy out there. You need to have a guy ready to go. You need to have Boxberger ready if Woodruff suddenly was leaking oil and not have him out there for three batters, which console did which was a mistake but yes the brewers are not a part of that group they are just not there's nothing i've seen so far to make me think that the brewers deserve to be in the same conversation as those six teams and if you look at the nl specifically the dodgers mets and braves are playing a different level of baseball than the milwaukee brewers and part of it is focus part of it matter like look at the braves another good example of this the braves this weekend had the washington nationals they kicked the Washington Nationals' ass on Friday night. Then on Saturday, it was a tighter game. The Braves got out to an early lead. The Nationals kind of clawed back. But still, the Braves won 4-3. to three. Then yesterday, the Braves got down early. It was 2-0. They get back. They tie this game. It goes to extras. The game went for a while in extras. Um, no run scored, which is really weird. doesn't happen often. And then the Braves are able to win in the 12th inning with an Austin Riley single. So to me, that says everything you need to know. And like, you should sweep the Nationals if you're the Braves, right? The Nationals aren't a good baseball team. Um, the Braves should take care of business there. The Dodgers swept the Cubs this weekend. Again, the Dodgers are a good, they swept the, I think it was a four game sweep of the, of the Cubs. And the Brewers over here fucking lost two out of three of that same team. So what does that tell you about these two baseball teams? Right? And you could say, well, Charlie, it's divisional. Well, the Nationals and Braves are a division. Like, why is that different? Why can't the Brewers... You know, I, I realize the Pirates are maybe a poor, man, poor man's version of the Baltimore Orioles in the sense that they've brought up a lot of guys and they look like they have a promising future here ahead of them, and especially offensively. I don't know about their pitching staff, but offensively, they definitely have a promising young future. So you could say that there's a little more juice with this team than maybe other others like the Reds. But And you could argue, well, the Reds just swept the Rays. Well, I consider the Rays not even part of that second tier. I don't even think the Rays are in that second tier. I think the Brewers are in that second tier because I think if you know they, they acquire a bat, they acquire a starting pitcher, they do some different things, they tweak this roster a little bit, maybe the Brewers are into that first tier and maybe... They start, you know, rounding in a form and win, you know, somewhere like 20 of the next 30 games or something crazy like that where all of a sudden they are pushing 
the Mets and Braves for the second best record in baseball or in the National League, excuse me. Like that to me feels like a team that is a little more real and they beat some teams along the way that makes it look even more real. But yes, the Brewers are in that tier two and I don't consider the Rays who got swept by the Cincinnati Reds in that second tier. The second tier is small. That second tier, there's not a lot of people invited to that party. The Padres, who I think are going through similar things. If you read, you know, some of the guys, I follow Divine Sports Gospel, who do a great job uh, with the Padres, and we're sort of internet friends. And so I see a lot more Padres content. I know a lot more about that Padres team. And it seems like the frustration that Brewer fans are having with their team, Padre fans are having, having trouble with that team as well. That even though the Padres are X amount of games over 500, this team doesn't really feel like a team that you root for night in, night out. It feels like you're more frustrated by the team than you are like, all right, I'm excited to watch Brewer baseball or excited to watch Padre baseball. I wouldn't say at this point I'm excited to watch Brewer baseball. I think it's been a couple weeks since I've felt that way. I think after the Rays series, I was definitely like, all right, here we go. And you have the Pirates, you have the Cubs, and then you have the Pirates again, and then you go four and six. And that, to me, just takes the wind right out of your sails. And yeah, it's a good series against Minnesota. I like night baseball, especially over the weekend. So I'll enjoy, you know, Brewers Giants on Thursday and Friday night. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily gung-ho about it all. And then the other team I put in there is the Phillies. And the Phillies, to me, have entered Tier 2. Because the Phillies keep playing really good baseball. The Phillies have kind of fixed their bullpen issues. The Phillies have a really good offense, even without Bryce Harper. And they get Bryce Harper back in mid-August. There's no reason to believe that the Phillies can't be the second wildcard team right there with the Atlanta Braves or the Mets if the Braves were able to beat the Mets for the top spot in the National League East. But the Phillies deserve to be there. The Phillies have done a lot since Joe Girardi got fired. I think they're something like, I think it's, uh, I saw it, they were 20-9 the other day. I don't remember what day that was. But they had another successful series over the St. Louis Cardinals, who I put at the, the third tier. And the Cardinals are a touch overrated and I have a lot of teams in that third tier the Minnesota Twins the Tampa Bay Rays the Seattle Mariners I would even put the Blue Jays in there Blue Jays have lost a ton of games their pitching staff's trash I do not have the Blue Jays right now even in that third tier um the Twins have so many bullpen issues it's unbelievable like I don't think the Brewers have as big of a glaring problem as the Minnesota Twins do when it comes to bullpen arms. Like I think right now that is, if you have a glaring problem, that kind of puts you in tier three. And so I don't necessarily have the Brewers at that level yet because I think if you look at the Padres, you look at the Phillies, you're like, all right, that makes sense. And then you also look at like tier three to those glaring problems. Like I, I don't think the Brewers have like a glaring problem. Despite people are like, oh, we need a bat, we need this. It's like, we just need to shuffle the deck a little bit. We need to, you know, make sure that no one's feeling comfortable. A big trade, a, you know, something that sends a message, I think, would really help the Milwaukee Brewers. So, you know, take taking guys out of the lineup who aren't performing, making sure that you are not necessarily having a outfield presence that is casting here on Jonathan Davis and, I don't know, I wouldn't say Tyrone Taylor, but like, Jace Peterson, I guess, would be the best example. Like, I just do not think that is a winning outfield. I think Keston Hura is doing a really good job. I think Keston Hura has had a much better season than people give him credit for. But the fact that it took until consistent production for Hura to 
to be in the lineup all weekend is ridiculous. Hero should have been in the lineup on a regular basis for the last couple of weeks. He's been hitting the ball well enough to sort of have that case. And then the Brewers will get Taylor and Renfro back and be like, well, they're fully healthy heading into the All-Star break. But still, like, that to me only goes so far. And, like, is Tyrone Taylor anything better than Keston Hero at this point? Like, defensively, yes. But, like, Tyrone Taylor hasn't really had that good of a season. I know we all got excited about his sort of hot streak. But I don't know if Tyrone Taylor has really followed up on that hot streak. And it seems like the Brewers cannot all get hot at once. They cannot all stay healthy. We've talked about that. And maybe that's fundamentally the reason why they're not in that last tier is because, or that top tier, because they cannot be a consistent baseball team because with injuries and the amount of, you know, fluctuation that you've had with this team all year, that maybe that's preventing the Brewers from reaching their peak or the Brewers aren't just aren't good and they're getting fat on bad teams, but the Brewers aren't even taking advantage of that. The Brewers decided to pass on a nice meal of, Pirates, Cubs, Pirates over the last 10 days. And now they have to face two teams that are either in the playoffs or hovering around the playoffs to finish off before the All-Star break. Let's see if the Brewers can take advantage, but I remain dubious of this baseball team, and I don't know if six games will change my mind. Moving on to Devin Williams and his All-Star bid that wasn't. Devin Williams is not an all-star. Devin Williams did not get a all-star berth. And that is ridiculous. Devin Williams has been as good of a pitcher as we've seen all season for baseball, not just the Brewers. Uh, To me, Devin Williams has been the best pitcher on the Brewers staff. I think he's been better than Burns. Burns had a little bit of a dip um, middle of the year. I think he's been better than Hayter. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but like I just look at Devin Williams and I probably feel the most confident when Devin Williams is on the mound. And I realize he struggled to start the season, but I don't know if I would punish that. I think some of that was a little bit of the jitters after the broken hand incident. I think Williams should have got rewarded for his season. And now he still might, right? We have guys who skip the All-Star game, whether they have a nagging injury, whether they have you know some sort of family requirement, you know maybe their wife's pregnant, something like that where they aren't going to be able to commit to the game. So potentially Devin Williams could still be an All-Star. It's not out of the question to think that Devin Williams will not get a All-Star bid. But that said, it's not one that was given to him. And I realized that People who are not reliever or people who are not closers do not usually get all-star bids. But still, I feel like Devin Williams was an anomaly. First of all, the guy has five saves. That's a career high. And it's basically been the start of the year. He's only allowed 17 hits overall. He's allowed seven earned runs all season um, in 32 games. And if you go into the game logs, they are even crazier because a lot of those runs are in April. You know, I would say even a majority of those runs are in April. He doesn't he doesn't allow much, right? The last time Devin Williams allowed runs was in again oh no, that was St. Louis, so that was the start of the year. Sorry. ESPN does the game logs up front. So four of those were in April. Four runs of those were in April. He the last time he allowed some runs was in against Cincinnati where he allowed three runs. Other than that, Devin Williams has been flawless. Devin Williams has not allowed a run since May the tenth. Okay? So since May the 10th, Devin Williams has not allowed a run. 
That means he has a scoreless streak of, let's see, he has 32 innings. He's been in 34 games, 14, do the math there. That means at 22 straight games, 22 straight appearances for Devin Williams, he is not allowed to run. That's pretty damn good. And that guy somehow is not a fucking all-star. Even though he has five saves, like we mentioned, he also has a shit ton of holds. He has 22 holds on the season. That's pretty good. I, I, I just don't understand it. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't look at this and say, how is this guy not a not in the fucking game? Like, how is, how is he not in the All-Star game? Like, you look at his statistics and you're like, this is an All-Star. Yes, he doesn't have the saves, but is that really something that we should weigh so much? Because you could argue in some of those holds, they're just as good as saves. That... The Brewers needed Devin Williams to extend that into Josh Hader in the ninth inning. And yet, somehow he doesn't get credit for it. Is it because he doesn't pitch as much as the average middle reliever? Maybe. I mean, the fact that Joe Mantiply got in for Arizona over Williams is a fucking joke. It's why the All-Star game is special, but it also makes it really frustrating. Mantiply gets in because... Baseball gives one team an all-star. And I kind of like that, all right? Like, if you think about it, and you're a team that sucks, you're a team like the Diamondbacks, you're a team like the Reds, you're a team like the Detroit Tigers, like, you at least have an all-star, all right? And it's nice that you're able to watch that baseball game. And you're not being like, oh, I don't want to watch this because my team's not it. Now, you could be like, well, it's a participation trophy, but I think that's part of a baseball tradition. Now, if Rob Manfred, who wants to, quote-unquote, fix the game and says, I'm not ruining the game, I'm trying to fix the game, I would argue that Rob Manfred is hurting his brand by letting every team have an all-star. If Rob Manfred was serious about making sure that baseball was the best-delivered product, he'd make sure that the best players were playing in this game. And I don't necessarily think that they've done a good enough job with that. I think the fact that Shohei Otani is a DH over Jordan Alvarez is a joke. Like, I feel like you should have Alvarez and Otani in the lineup. Like, figure out a way to make sure that both are in the lineup. I know Jordan has a hand injury, so it sounds like he probably will not be in the home run derby. He probably won't be in the all-star game. That really sucks. That's a really big loss for for the all-star game. Um, But at the same time, like, if you were playing, like, you need to include him. Like, that's the type of stuff that I think Rob Manfred doesn't look at. I think he always looks at more big picture, pitch clocks, and all sorts of other bullshit versus looking at the smaller details that could really bring in fan interest and say, all right, I'm sitting down to watch the first three innings of the All-Star game because Otani and Alvarez are out there. Nobody knows who Joe Manply is. No one gives a fuck, Right. Devin Williams, I think, has a little bit of notoriety online. I think Devin Williams is a more fun player than some random middle reliever on the Diamondbacks. No one cares about that guy, all right? No one gives a fuck. And so you can't act like it's like, okay, yeah, the Diamondback fans get to watch their guy, but are they really that excited? Like, I know Chris Castellani of uh, Barstow Sports, who's a noted Tigers fan, was not a fan of Giovanni Soto being... An all-star. He didn't feel like, oh, not Gregory. I, I, Brian, Brian Anderson did this too uh, in the broadcast the other day. But uh, Gregory Soto being an all-star, 
he did not feel the same way. Like he he did not feel like that was that was deserving. He was like, this guy that wouldn't have been my choice for the Tigers representative, but so be it. And it's like, okay. And and like, is he gonna really watch the game because his guy is out there? Well, Castellani's a big ass baseball fan, but I'm saying most Tiger fans, are they gonna watch it because Soto's out there? Like, are they gonna be like, all right, this is we have to watch our guy Soto? Or are they just gonna be like, yeah, whatever. Manplies in the All-Star game are are Diamondbacks running to get Manply All-Star Game jerseys. And I agree. I saw a boomer take about the San Diego Padres uniforms where he's like, well, what if they, you know, hit four home runs looking like a fruit basket? And it was this old-ass columnist from the fucking San Francisco Chronicle. And, of course, Tom Hardricourt retweeted it. I know Hardricourt's retired, and, and God bless that he is. But, like, the fact that they're saying, oh, he's a fruit basket looking that way, it's like, well, fucking Nolan Ryan... One, I think you want to Cy Young dressed as like the Houston Astro rainbow outfit. So well, what the fuck are we doing here? You know, what does it matter? Who cares? Go live your life. Does that That is not that important. But then you had the other side of it, which I think is less of a boomer take from Rust and Dodd. Maybe it is because it's an older school take saying that all these guys need to be in their uniforms. Like Book Showalter learned that uh, the other day in a press conference and was like, Oh, we're not they're, not, they're not all dressed in like Mets gear and Marlins gear. They're dressed in their all-star threats. And that was something that they changed. You know, I think Nike changed that. But again, how, does anyone know who Sandy Alcantara is? Who isn't a, a pretty significant baseball fan? Like, I guess maybe a little bit more because he pitches in the NL East, which has notable fan bases like the Braves and the Mets. And you could even maybe include the Nationals there. Or the Phillies. I think Phillies for sure. So maybe a little bit. He has that East Coast bias, if you will. But like, does a Midwestern fan know who Sandy Alcantara is? Does a Cubs fan know who Sandy Alcantara is? You know, the diehards, yeah, sure. But like, Sandy Alcantara should be pitching in a Marlins uniform. Like, we should see Sandy Alcantara out there, you know, as a member of the Marlins. Not a member of the NL All-Star team and whatever uniforms they have for them. I haven't even seen what they look like. That, to me, is how you get exposure and how you get more guys, you know, as like, okay, I got to make sure if the Marlins are on, like, we're watching Sandy. And I think the Marlins deserve a lot more national attention when Al Contreras pitch because he is that fucking good. And he's probably the best pitcher in baseball this year, in my opinion. So that's, there's just always things wrong with baseball. All-Star game is never perfect. I think it's probably the... The one that's maybe the most frustrating versus football, which we, I don't think anyone cares about. Basketball, we care about. I think people use all-star games way too much in the basketball world and are like, well, it was a three-dime all-star. It's like, yeah, this, who cares, right? Like, all NBA matters so much more. But yeah, I, I mean, if Devin Williams ends up winning an award after the year and is right there with Hater in terms of reliever of the year, maybe this shit doesn't matter. When Devin Williams is a closer next year, I think he'll end up being an all-star. Let's do weekend winners and losers, and then a little bit of Chuck's Corner, and right out of here. All right, this is a new segment. I don't know if I'm going to do this all the time or if this is just a one-time thing. Weekend winner for sure is Zach Wilson. All right, Zach Wilson, if you did not hear the story. Zach, oh, basically, Saturday night, um, their news came out that Zach Wilson's ex-girlfriend was dating his buddy who was a wide receiver on BYU. Now, I have no idea if they're Mormon, but as 
you probably know, or if you don't know, it seems like Mormons are a little bit incestuous. It seems like Mormons stick with Mormons and they jump around a little bit. They, even though they can't have sex till their marriage or they're supposed to not have sex till their marriage, it seems like they kind of get down. Like, you know, there, there's the whole soaking thing, which is way too inappropriate for our podcast. Um, you can look it up, um, do that on your own. But still, like, Mormons get down, all right? And I think Zach Wilson is definite proof of that. Remember, the guy took two cheer, two BYU cheerleaders to his prom when he was underage, okay? So, like, Zach Wilson definitely knows he's a little bit of a coxman. And so, Zach Wilson's girlfriend left, leaves him. And someone calls her a homie hopper, which I didn't know that was a term. That very Gen Z term, but I like it. Um, you know, hopping from the homies. I like I like it. She responded, um, as, you know, women in their 20s do on Instagram. You know, Morgan Reed, uh, Grayson Allen's uh, girlfriend, I think now fiance maybe, uh, famously responded to me about something because I called Grayson our asshole when he brought in Grayson Allen. But whatever. Uh, that's here nor there. And, and she can do that. That's that's her man. She can defend her man. But anyways, uh, Zach Wilson's ex-girlfriend said, Zach's the real homie hopper. You should ask him about his mom's best friend. So that took off. And everyone just assumed. And Zach was also with a woman. New, I think the New York Post got him like at the Hamptons or on vacation or some bullshit. And yeah, I guess you could say the woman looked a little older. But, you know, blonde, pretty. And there you have it. And Zach Wilson... You know, chasing after older women, and now Zach Wilson's nickname is the Milf Hunter. Like, there's no other way around it, right? And, like, I think there is, has, since American Pie, there's always been something about MILFs. Like, the, the term MILF became a cultural phenomenon with Zach Wilson. Or not Zach Wilson, sorry, American Pie. Zach Wilson, way before Zach Wilson died, but American Pie, like, made that a thing. And then you had the MILF Hunter porn series. And, you know, if you act like you don't know about it, you're a fucking prude. And, and we all know you do. And, again, that elevated it to another level. And it empowered older women to feel sexy, right? And so the MILF thing never really stopped. And so Zach Wilson obviously has a penchant for older women. Some guys do. Just like some, you know, women have a penchant for younger boys. And that, I think it's a combination of things, Right? And so for Zach Wilson, he's, you know, bagging old broads and that's his thing. And now we'll, it'll spark a million fantasy football names. If they people still do that. Wilson's Milf Hunters, I think, is about as good as you're going to get. Um, to me, that sounds that sounds very good. Um, I, I thought about, like, Zach's Milf Attack. You know, like Zach Attack, but Zach's Milf Attack. I think that also works. Um, we'll take other suggestions. Maybe we make it into a tap list, but... There's no way that Zach Wilson doesn't come out winning. He looks fucking cool. All right. Like this, it's just a cool thing. Like that, you want to be a cool guy as a New York quarterback. You don't want to be a square. I feel like Eli was a square. I feel like that led to a lot of criticism. I think that Daniel Jones, for the most part, is a square. Like the coolest thing Daniel Jones did was went out, you know, and drank with his teammates. Uh, I think that was last year or the year prior. I don't remember. But like Zach Wilson now. I think, it, did he have, didn't he have mononucleocus? Mononucleus? No, that was Darnold. Darnold had the mono from making out with the girls, which also, again, cool guy shit during the year, but you look a little cooler when you're out, out in those streets and you're not necessarily, you know, just basically talking about the Lord and talking about the Mormon faith. Like, that's, this is way better. So, yes, Zach Wilson winner. Loser, Cam Thomas. 
So Camp Thomas might is kind of a obscure one. Also staying in New York. You're like, what are you, New York podcast? Uh, we had some New York guys reach out yesterday. So thank you to them who subscribed. I, I appreciated that. That was a cool DM to get. But the reason why Cam Thomas is a loser is actually Wisconsin adjacent. Cam Thomas basically told people to go at Marshawn Bochamp. To say, you need to go after Marshawn Bochamp in the Bucks in that summer league game. Bochamp took that seriously. Bochamp gave him the business. Uh, he ended up having 16 points in his first summer league game. A lot of Bucks Twitter overreaction to that. I am not going to buy into it just yet. Uh, I will wait for the full scope and see what we have here. And But it does seem like the Bucks might have got somebody. That's all I'll say at this point. But Bochamp basically took Cam Thomas to the cleaners. He also put him in clamps, as the kids would say, on the other side of the ball. Then Cam Thomas uh, was inter- being interviewed after in that second summer league game on Sunday, basically, you know, shrugging off like Steve Nash doesn't necessarily give him a ton of feedback, um, that Steve Nash wanted him to pass the ball more. Thomas sort of gave Cassidy Hubbard a little bit of a look. Didn't necessarily bode well for Steve Nash. Now I saw Sam Vecini defending it saying this really wasn't a Nash thing. This is more like the criticisms of Thomas and maybe Thomas was sick of all the haters. Regardless, Thomas should have handled that better. He did not look good in that, um, nor did Nash. And so Thomas has been ha- taking owls all throughout Vegas. Like if, if Thomas was a guy who was playing you know, blackjack or something like that, dude would be down like $200 right now. Now granted, you have a couple days left to... You know, get that right. But yeah, I'm not not necessarily going to look at Cam Thomas and think that he's had a good summer. I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Thomas finds his, himself in some trades. Um, this and which would be interesting, right? Because some people look at Cam and say, "All right, even if like KD were to leave or Kyrie were to leave, they do have some talented younger players like Nick Claxton and Cam Thomas." But maybe Cam Thomas wouldn't be a part of that. All right, Chuck Swarner, and then we ride out. So I was wondering, I was going to do a tab list and I was like, yeah, you know, maybe like summer bars because I went to Taylor's over the weekend and I felt like Taylor's to me is a much better summer bar than it is a winter bar because they'll open it all up, has a nice feel to it, good ambiance. But then I was also thinking about it and I'm like, I don't really go bar to bar anymore. Like I don't necessarily do that as much as I did when I was younger. So like me saying the garage is a top summer bar is not necessarily fair to them because I haven't been there all summer. So how can I say that? I don't know. Um, But anyways, I didn't do that. Also, I'm like, why do we want to talk about bars on Monday? This, to me, could be the worst week of the year. If you really think about it. And it's very dependent on the 4th of July. All right? But because the 4th of July was on a Monday, most people had four-day weeks. Some people had three-day weeks, like your boy. Some people got some time off before the 4th of July. And now we're back in the mix It's the middle of summer. It could be hot where you live. It could also be just that there's nothing to watch. You could have a bad baseball team. The Brewers are not that. They are not playing well, but so you might be frustrated to watch them. There's nothing good TV-wise. You have shows you could catch up on, but let's say you're caught up on Stranger Things. Let's say you're caught up on The Boys. You're caught up on Westworld. What else is there to watch? I mean, yeah, there's a lot available, but still... It's not necessarily a great TV time either. I think The Bachelorette starts tonight for those who care. So maybe that's her saving grace. But if you really think about it, this might be the worst week of the year. It's definitely way up there. If you also look at other times of the year where it could be unfortunate, the first full week after Memorial Day, 
Maybe. But again, you got a lot of sports rocking. Same with Labor Day, right? Football is in full gear. Like that first full week of the of your basically fall, you have Monday night football and then you have Thursday night football. You're taken care of. You're fine. You'll survive that because you have football there. And if you have a competitive baseball team, you have the sort of tail end of the baseball season. So you have that going for you. You could say the week, the first full week after like the Christmas holiday. To me, that might be more brutal than this because if you think about that, sometimes you get like two weeks off. Sometimes you're at least off for a week. Um, Even if you are working that week, it doesn't really matter. It's pretty much jerk off time for those, not like actually jerking off, but you know what I mean, metaphorically, not literally. All right, you sickos. Uh, But so you could say that that is the worst week. I think that is its contender. But I would also argue you have bowl games. You have a little bit of football. Now, I actually think what makes it worse is the fact that you do not have the playoffs that weekend. If you have the playoffs to look forward to that weekend, it doesn't make that week that bad, right? You're like, okay, I can survive this. I have playoff football at the end of the week. Now you have week 17. And it's, or week 18, excuse me. And it's like, it's, all these games that don't really matter. Maybe one or two games are important. So you do get Saturday football, which is nice. But it's not necessarily as meaningful as having playoff football on those Saturday and Sunday. And being like, okay, I can survive this. So I had, that's sort of where I'm at. I would say it's a debate between those two. Um, maybe I'll put it on the Instagram let you guys vote. And see which, see which comes out ahead. All right, that does it for today's show. Back tomorrow. Uh, And then we will take a day off on Wednesday. If something crazy were to happen on Wednesday that would require us to be in, I will hit the podcast. So I won't leave you hanging. If something needs an immediate reaction, I will be there for you. But I will uh, talk to you guys tomorrow. um, And then we'll be back at it again on Thursday. All right, take care. Have a good one. Bye.